And the current time now is 7.26 p.m. here in Seoul, South Korea. It's time for Back to the Culture with our music critic Kim Young-dae joining us in the studio once again. Young-dae, hello to you. Hello, good evening. Young-dae, quick question. Uh, were you a good student when you were in school? C-plus average. Really? Yeah. I was C minus. See, I told you all the I, C I had, average students do well at the end. When I was in college back in the day, I had two haksagyeonggo. What, what, <laughs> what is it? That's maximum. So after that, your your kind of your student status will be terminated, right? Can, can I can I tell you something funny? Okay, I got two too. <laughs> <laughs> so they told me. He told me in school that if I get another, it, it's, I forgot what it was it, called. It's a rule. It's a rule. Yeah, I, I forgot what the term is. Uh, you gave us the Korean uh, terminology, but uh, it's basically, it's it's a warning. It's, oh, academic probation. Yeah. Is yeah. what it is. Yeah. So academic probation, you could get two. And they said, if you get it the third time, you have to be, you're either expelled or they were also going to take away my uh, scholarship. And so there was absolutely no way that I was going to be able to afford my school. Mm. And so that's why I that's how I strained my uh, you know academics and then ended up with a C minus. I was well honestly I was pretty good student in a graduate school but yes. not in an under, undergraduate program. Yeah, see? I'm telling you it doesn't C matter plus. grades doesn't matter. Those there was an article people who <laughs> average C end up being the most successful. I could have been more successful if it was higher than a C minus and maybe like a C and a C plus, but nevertheless. All right. This and is we not... are a Sotechi generation. Y we are. That's Ju right. Usually there. That's right. All right. So what we're going <laughs> to talk about today is a very interesting one. Uh, it's going to bring us back to the past once again with this back to the culture theme. BTS, right? I mean, let's face it, probably the, uh, not probably, the most successful Korean act to succeed mm -hmm. overseas. But BTS certainly wasn't the very first Korean act to go overseas. So we're going to do a bit of a history walk here and talk about some of the other artists that have gone to the U.S. or other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. um, some who have succeeded, uh, some who really haven't. <coughs> Seven. Uh, let's go to the 60s and 70s. Uh, and of course, we have right. to talk about the we, Kim sisters. We, we usually talking about, you know, globalization of K-pop and uh, K-pop going global, you know, going international. Uh, you know, after the days of, uh, in 2000, but actually the, the globalization of Korean pop or Korean pop being recognized by global fans started very earlier. Yeah. It's, uh, it started even in the, in the Japanese occupation era. Really? Actually, that, that's how actu actually modern Korean pop music, uh, you know, started actually. The, the industry, the infrastructure and everything. Uh, through the Japanese influence and the uh, uh, and the U.S. military influence, Korean pop has been kind of modernized into uh, into what we are seeing right, right, today. Right. More, you know, there was no pop music, pop music like in in today's standards, you know, Western style pop music. Um, it all started during the Japanese occupation era, and uh, the whole industry. Uh, it's a substantial shape uh, in the during the Korean War and after the Korean War. Um, a lot of new performers started their own career in the military camp, and for the U.S. soldiers in uh, in uh, that kind of uh, right. situation. 
Yeah. That's quite interesting. I never yeah, it, knew it, that it, it went that far. It goes back really far. Yeah. But I mean, again, I mean, because I thought the furthest we could go back is like the 60s and 70s. And you're right. I think it does make a, you make a very good point with the Korean War, because mm-hmm. I think with the, all these, uh, you know, performances at the bases and so forth right. uh, for the troops. And I think there was going to be a lot of, uh, you know. The 8th Army yeah, camp. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of nightclubs there. Yeah. That's how they, um, because the 8th Army, including 8th Army, a lot of like U.S. bases, U.S. Um, you know, clubs, they they paid really well. That That's why a lot of new young you know generation the talents started uh you know the trying tried really hard to find a job there right and that's accidentally how korean pop has been evolved wow. into more elaborate one that's uh, that's incredible <laughs> uh because you're right I, I was kind of wondering how it kind of evolved because when i think about like the old korean music like folk songs yeah folk Minyo, songs yeah Kuga. yeah it's it's so traditional, yeah. and then all of a sudden it became very upbeat, right. uh, and and then you know we're trying to figure out where that uh, you know turning point was. And you're right, it, it could be because of the military bases and some of the influences that you saw. So let's go talk about some of these artists that we often talk about from the early stage, and this is of course post uh, Korean War. Yep. Uh, I believe we talked about some of these people before. Uh, Kim Sisters. Yeah, one of the yeah probably the first internationally renowned. Korean pop act. Yeah, um, they're actually the um, probably at the time most famous Asian girl group um, in in US. They are recruited by American promoter uh, at the time because they they already were, were performing at the US base. Yeah, US nightclub and one of the one of the influential like uh, promoters found them and they, uh, he uh, promoted this girl group named Kim Sisters in the U.S. market directly. So they were appeared a lot of times, actually more than uh, than Beatles, like th- more than 30 times in at Sullivan Show, CBS oh, wow. at the time. So, yeah, they were so huge. They were so huge. Still a lot of like uh, old generation Americans uh, are talking about this group, still remember uh, this group. You know what's incredible is I, I just typed in the Kim sisters in English on uh, Google Image, and uh, you have a lot of these pictures with uh, Ed Sullivan Ed because Sullivan, yeah. they came out so yeah. much uh, in this. And you know what? I love the look that they have. Uh, I guess this is where the <laughs> Wonder, Wonder Girls uh, copied from uh, this kind of oh, style, yeah. right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. When they came out with uh, oh man, which is the most recent uh, Wonder Girls album? But uh, nevertheless, yeah, this is the kind of image that I think they were. Nobody, the English version is actually kind of parody of that generation. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what I was talking about. Yeah. yeah. So I could kind of see that what they were trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. That they're trying to. We'll talk about the Wonder Girls a little yeah. bit later on, and that you know them trying to go into the U.S. market, and it's not surprising that they're trying to you know get a little bit of the influence from the Kim sisters and then you have Yunboki another name that we talked about yeah they're the same generation but another girl group named Korean kittens okay uh, were so popular back then they, especially they're so popular uh, among US soldiers actually the the soldier uh, on the site uh, it's during the Vietnam War they performed a lot of times for the USO performances you know hosted by uh, uh, celebrity uh, hosts like Bob Hope uh, at the time. So if you Google um, Korean kittens, 
and uh, U.S. or Bob Hope, you will find amazing, amazing video. You know, uh, they uh, they perform for the soldiers. So at first, the, the, all the soldiers look kind of interesting and uh, suspicious about yeah. this group. And the, uh, as soon as they started singing, they so you know mesmerized by the, the, all these skills and the great stage manner. Yeah, a lot of these uh, the photos that we're seeing here. This is a picture from the Korean kittens. It says Saigon Christmas 1966. Bob Hope USO. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so you know when Bob Hope used to make those uh, you know appearances at these uh, you know base camps over mm-hmm. in different parts where there were wars. Mm-hmm. I guess the Korean kittens were there. Yeah, performing. Uh, and, and, you know, I'm looking at, like, their fashion and stuff like that, and it, it seems like one of those things where... Supremes, Diana Ross. Yeah, like, it would have never been allowed in Korea at the time. No. Just, no. like, never. Yeah, it was so kind of, like, I don't know. Too sexy? Too sexy or too too far a bit. Um, yeah. And uh, too progressive. Um, right. And so this is something that would have only passed in the United States. Yeah. And, but the fact that they were, I mean, just met with so much fame, and but, we forget. But through that kind of experience, Jimbo Ki brought that influence directly in, in, uh, into Korean pop scene, uh, being the kind of ambitious one. Uh, and uh, that's the sort of like catalyst for the later generations of Korean pop music and the Korean pop group, and all the way to the, the latest Korean girl group. Oh, this is uh, really cool here. Uh, nevertheless, though, I, you know, we talked about in the 60s and 70s, you have, uh, again, uh, the Kim sisters and the Korean Kim. And, you know, they made their splash in the United States. Now, we're going to go to the 80s now, right? Mm-hmm. And when you go to the 80s, you have names like Cho Young-pil, mm-hmm. uh, who I believe you named as probably one of the top, uh, was it? Kung Min-gasu. Kung Min-gasu, sorry. Nami, Keun Suk, Yeon These are all names that have made a splash overseas, but by overseas, we're talking about Japan. Yeah, East Asia, especially in Japan. Okay, um, but why Japan, though? Well, Japan was far superior, far advanced pop market at the time. And uh, it, it, it's definitely a well-paid job okay. and more systematic. So it that they definitely had more opportunity. And uh, they also won fame as an international artist. And, uh, you know, definitely uh, the experience in Japan would definitely... Uh, will make them even more relevant uh, as, a, as an artist. You know, for example, Cho Young-pil, through that kind of experience, Cho Young-pil definitely used uh, that experience and technology and the know-how, um, and uh, he brought that influence directly in the later albums he released in Korea. And yeah. uh, that's how the whole K-pop scene, you know, uh, was able to be evolved right uh, this is incredible we're going to take a listen to one of nami's song and when we talk about nami uh, yongwanan chingu is probably a uh, forever friend is probably one of the more uh, renowned songs from nami uh ladies and gentlemen this is nami with yongwanan chingu let's take a brief listen to this So the, you know the, the song sounds still, you know, fantastic and uh, especially relevant in uh, in today's pop scenes trend, right. like being being retro, and uh, you know, bring a lot of like a disco and a funk element in, uh, in today's pop scene. And this this sounds so similar. You know, the one part, <laughs> the one part in that song that I want to kind of point out that I felt like was kind of the 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 eighties music of this t- time, uh, the trumpet sound, ba bam. 
Yeah. They use that a lot. But you're telling me like songs like this, music like this was a big hit over in Japan. No, not, well, not uh, this type of song. So when, here's the interesting part. So when uh, they are uh, trying to be big in, in Japan, okay. they usually change their style. Oh. So even, you know, Jo Young-pil and uh, Nami, they're, they're kind of more typical pop star in, in Korea. In Japan, they, uh, I don't know, it's an adaptation, I think. Uh, it, they change their style into more Japanese-influenced pop style, like uh, such as Enka and traditional pop to be more relevant and successful in uh, Japanese market. Well, right. still at the time, you know, the Korean singers were quite underrated and then not re- really, you know, the, the big big market like J- Japan, they never pay a big attention to uh, Korean pop singers. So I think, uh, well, probably due to that reason, you know, famous pop or rock star uh, such as Jo Young-pil uh, really needed to uh, change their style, more Jap- Jap- you know, Japan-friendly right. you know, pop vocal style. Because when you talk about Japanese style, you know, there's uh, one artist, and I'm going to... Wow, this is a... This is a very Korean-esque. <laughs> Kim Hyun-ja with uh, yeah. Seung-dung. Trot legend. Th- this is from the 80s? I think... Uh, what this particular song? I think it's the 80s. This wow. 70s. This 80s. sounds really, really old, to be honest with yeah. you. Like, almost before the 80s. And so, Kim hyun was another name that went to Japan there right. as well. Yeah, Jo Young-pil. Uh, oh, there are a lot of other cases. Uh, at the time, it was kind of new trend. So, uh, once you became a, a superstar, you know, megastar in Korea, you would definitely, um, you, you, you know, there's a... It, it's easier for uh you know J- japanese promoters and right, record right. producers find this new talent in korea and uh, kind of uh, uh you know encourage them to you know knock on the door of japanese pop music but see, you know? yeah but see you know when i heard this is this song i heard for the first time Kim Hyun-jae, it has a very japanese-esque like a, a mu- it's kind of music that Japanese people will actually like. Well, traditionally, trot music has been, you know, hugely in- influenced by Japanese anchor. Really? Yeah, definitely. Okay, and which is another thing that I want to talk I'm kind of and, jumping uh, generations here because when I also hear, like, Anjeok songs, yeah. it has a very, like, Japanese-esque music to his well, uh, songs. Anjeok's song was you know, kind of iconic song, like, Chingu. It was a remade, remade version. It's a cover version of Pongyo uh, Chinese song. Probably that's why Anjeo got, got so uh, you know big success in in, uh, in uh, Chinese market. But this yeah, sounds so it's, Chinese. It's Pengyo. It's a it's a it's a cover version. Okay. Oh, that's yeah. the reason why. Yeah. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is Anjeo with Chingu. Anjeo was so huge. Like so, he was massive. So huge. Like it's almost to the point where he was probably never in Korea. <laughs> He was always like in Japan and stuff like that, where he was just, you know, in China, where he was so popular. They, they call him Anjaishi. Jaishi. <laughs> Anjaishi. As far as I remember. Yeah, I did, this has China written all over it. I, this is incredible. But anyway, that's a really interesting part. I mean, the, especially East, East Asian countries like Korea, Japan, um, China, they share some, some common. I would say sentiment okay. or melodic structure uh, based on the pentatonic scale and also some kind of nostalgic feeling that East Asian countries, uh, you know, shared how do you for a very long time. Then how do you explain the fact 
that HOT was so big in China. And I was <laughs> because HOT music. I I I don't know if China shares that kind of music with the kind of song that uh, you would hear. Candy was like one of the earlier ones, but like you know, you hear for example, uh, Aya, yeah. uh, Tuji, uh, Wolf and Sheep. Because uh, I was a I was a big HOT fan. Hengbok, Hengbok, right? That was one of the brighter. Candy, yeah. Candy was the earlier one, and then I mean, they also went to China. Yeah, you. I mean, at that point, it was. Um Kind of almost new chapter, new chapter of Korean pop music. So I mean, before HOT and uh, well, um, some other uh, contemporary pop group, not really, you know, China or Japan, they never really paid attention to the contemporary sound of Korean okay. pop. You know, they only know Korea as a kind of traditional vocalist or trot singers and uh, you know folk singers. But all of a sudden, you know, in, in Korean pop scene, there was this huge surge of dance music, you know, hip-hop music. So that's the point where, you know, Chinese um, audience and Japanese audience feel that, wow, Korea is making something really unique right. and uh, you know modern and trendy and young so the younger generation in, in china they didn't have that the sound like this yeah. at the time you know not hip-hop not like edm or it's kind of dance music so they were so uh in a way shocked and they're so mesmerized by this new wave of korean pop okay so this is a hot from their third album called pete or hope composed by one and only kang ta Really, he composes yeah, he himself. Yeah, he composes it. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. See, okay, so you're saying that that's it, like his pension. <laughs> I, it, it is a very popular song, to be honest with you. But see, this, these are one of the more lighter ones, because like there's some really shocking songs yeah. that you come out from like HOT and their, you know, like for example, their second album, Wolf and Sheep. Mm. Uh, you know, Dick Dale Young was very shocking. Like 2G, and then their fourth album, I believe, was uh, Aya, which was based on like a certain. Uh, incident that happened here but the look that hot had back in the days remember that look so shocking what is is that purely like south korea starting that trend or did they get that from japan because a lot of like the fa- like the styling and stuff like that in the yeah. past was from japan well that particular look i, I think you're mentioning is uh, is partly from japanese um visual rock okay yeah, yeah. It Axe seems Japan, Luna Sea, La Kang Shell. There, there was you know huge trend back then in Japan. So uh, Korean idol music, Korean you know K-pop um, sound aesthetically, you know uh, draw a lot of different elements from U.S. and Japan. And Japan is definitely the big one of the biggest, probably the biggest influence. Because I went around regardless with, of genres. Yeah, no, it's true. Yeah. It's true. It really, a lot of people are saying that you know Korean music, a lot of Korean K-pop music, they got a lot of influence from Japan, even the fashion. And so I remember in the you know the the early twenties uh, in high school, I used to have my HOT hair. Yeah. Right. And so you know long bangs and dyed it ye- <laughs> yellow. My question is, so speaking of like China. How did NRG become so big in China? Because NRG, in my opinion, one of the more underrated groups out there. I loved NRG. Mm. Um, I, I loved them during in, in game shows too because I mm-hmm. think they're some of the more funny people out there. But NRG was big in China. Yeah, it was almost, uh, I think, an accident. Nobody expected that kind of fame, that okay. kind of phenomenon. But I think at the, at the time, um, China and well, t- mainly China and Taiwan and uh, and Korea, they they are not really connected like like uh, like today. But there was a uh, there's an agency, you know, that 
import and export um, the record or 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 um, or artist, uh, you know, kind of making the, the contract with them, you know, having a concert. So through that kind of agent, there mm-hmm. was an opportunity to introduce each other's, uh, you know, music from uh, from each country. So I think uh, that was the only only way. Uh, it, it was not the age of uh, social media or YouTube. So right. Yeah, it was almost an accident, like cloned. In Taiwan? Uh, in Taiwan, yeah. That was an accident too because I thought yeah. it was like a shocking figure because Clone just brought like, you know, electronic music out of nowhere. Yeah. Uh, that, but That the Clone success in, in Taiwan changed the whole concept of K-pop and, uh, you know, Taiwanese people never never heard any like th- that kind of contemporary sound before. But through through Clone, they realized that, you know, something is actually brewing in, yeah, in Korea. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a totally different age. We never really communicated directly or uh, on real time. <laughs> I, this is incredible because I've never heard. It. I've always known that they were making big in these countries. They but never had a like a huge promotion like today. They never had a world tour tour back then. But through that kind of mouth to mouth, you know, agency to agency, a uh, little bit of exposure on the broadcast, right? Um, and uh, ev- everything contribute to a uh, little bit to that kind of success. All right, you know, believe it or not, we're actually out of time. I think really? we're going to make this actually a two parter. I, th- I think we can make <laughs> okay. this a two parter because we have <laughs> the next generations after the pre two thousands, post two thousands, where I think we start seeing more exposure because of the social media. Right. Uh, these are pre. Pre K pop. Pre K pop. Pre K. Pre K. <laughs> it's pre K. It's literally pre K. And then we're going to go post K afterwards. K to 12. K to 12. There you go. So, this is a two part special that we're going to have on this because I think it's important to know the history mm. before we talk about uh, BTS and so forth. But, Young Dad, as always, thank you very much thank for you. giving a great history lesson on K pop and looking forward to talking to you again next week. C plus, average. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.